Today we're going to pick up the theme that was so generously begun last week by Pastor Mylon. We're going to talk about love. But first we're going to start with something completely different, uh, the opposite of love, if you will. We're going to talk about fear. And with that in mind, would you please pray with me? Lord, let my words be your words. Let the things that I say that come from you be heard and the things that are not from you be swept away. Lord, we thank you for this time to worship you and to study your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, what are you afraid of? Take a little time to think about it. What kind of things are you afraid of? Maybe you said spiders, snakes, heights. These kind of fears are actually pretty normal, right? They're instinctive in some ways. They're built in. They're baked into us before we're born so that we don't go around doing things that would harm ourselves, playing with spiders, jumping off bridges, things like that. We fear the things that we associate with pain and with death. There are other things we fear too, things that maybe are less instinctive, maybe even we could say a little less rational. This kind of fear, maybe we would call it dread, right? It can influence how we live our lives. We all have examples, things that do or say, or really, most likely, things we don't do or say. For example, I've been offered a new job, but I'm afraid I won't fit in, so I'm going to just stick with the old job, and even though I don't really like it. I really want to talk to my neighbor about Christ, but I'm afraid they'll think I'm a fanatic. I'd like to call and apologize to my sister for the things that I said when I was angry, but I'm afraid she won't even take my call. This is the kind of fear I'm talking about, the fear of the future, the fear of what other people think. That's what keeps us from doing the brave and fulfilling things that Christ has called us to. What's the answer? It's, in fact... Many psychologists claim that there are really only two emotions, love and fear, and that all of our other emotions, all of our other things come from either one or the other of these two. So if we live in fear, we're going to react instead of act. We're going to do the safe thing, not necessarily the right thing. We're going to hide. We're going to rationalize. We're going to stay where we're at instead of moving forward and facing reality. Think with me a little bit about how fear drives our decision-making. Think of an example on the international level, right? For those of us that are older than a certain age, maybe grew up in the 60s and 70s and 80s, fear was just something we lived with. It's, It's easy to forget or maybe even hard to imagine how it was that we lived in constant fear that today would be the last one, the last day, that the Soviets, which we called the Russians and their allies back in those days, they would drop the big one and we'd all be gone. The nuclear war would start and we'd all be gone. We came up with things like MAD, which was Mutually Assured Destruction, And SDI, which was uh, the Strategic Defense Initiatives, these were strategies that we thought would shield us from from the evil Soviet empire. 
they're friends, right? Right? Okay. So at last, at one point, you know what we did? We started talking to each other. And it turned out that they were just as afraid of us as we were of them. Our mutual fear had driven the whole world to the very brink of destruction and led us to countless billions of dollars spent on things that may or may not have been useful in the first place. Our fear drove us into that. And for a long time, it seemed like there was no way out. Then, for a little while, it looked like everything might get better with with the Russians, and then we started getting scared of them again, right? We're afraid that they came in and interfered with our election by messing with Facebook. Facebook? Really? I'm just glad they didn't mess with my Farmville account. But fear drives many aspects of this country. We're so afraid of immigrants that some people want to build walls and holding cells and cages to put them in so that we can send them back. On the other hand, some people are so afraid that our current administration is going to become a fascist dictatorship that they put on ski masks and go in the streets and club anybody wearing a red hat. All this borders on insanity in my opinion anyway, but it's all driven by fear. Fear that someone weird is going to come along and interrupt the status quo that we want. Racism is driven by fear. What bigger, more divisive issue do we have in our country than racism? It's certainly divided our city and it continues to hold us back. But isn't the basis of racism really fear? Fear that they are going to take something from us, something that we're entitled to. Fear that they might hurt us like we've been hurt in the past. Our fear drives us apart. It tells us where to live, where to send our kids to school, and who can be our friends. I've seen fear at work in churches too. Once a while back, I worked on an oversight board for our denomination, and one of our responsibilities was to encourage the development of new churches. And at the time, there was this one church that was kind of dwindling, and it was, but they had a lot of money in the bank. And uh, about five miles away, there was another town, and that town was growing in leaps and bounds, and there weren't any churches there, which was kind of an odd thing because this has just kind of sprung up out of nowhere. And so we on this church board went to that church that had the big bank account and said, hey, how about you guys put a, you know, take some of that money out of the bank and start a church in this new town? And, you know, and they said, no, no, they couldn't do it. I asked about a reason. They said they were afraid. They were afraid that, you know, unless they had that money in the bank, that church would dwindle and it would go away. But if, as long as they had that money, they were going to be okay. Now, that was their decision, okay? And I, you know, okay, right? But the problem I have with it isn't the decision they made necessarily, but that they made it out of fear, that they were afraid of the future. God's not going to take care of us, but this money will. It was a decision made out of fear. Uh, not love. So if we make our decisions solely based on fear, we're never going to be serving God, right? At least not to the finest, not to the truest, 
We'll choose missions, mission uh, ministries. We'll choose them on the basis of our comfort zone. We're only going to go where we're comfortable. We'll retreat behind our pulpits. We'll, we'll stay in our air-conditioned sanctuaries, and we're grateful for that, actually, but, um, because we're afraid of the outside world. We live in our past instead of embracing the future because the future is scary. I've experienced this myself as well on a personal level with my own relationship with this church. Not many years ago, I wondered if we weren't just like the church in my story, clinging to things that made sense before but afraid of the future. Why did God keep this little church going if he didn't have any purpose for us? Where did he, but what was that purpose? Where did he want us to go? What did he want us to do? I wasn't sure. So you know what I did? I prayed about it and prayed about it. And then you know what else I did? I prayed some more. And nothing seemed to happen. Then one day, out of the blue, this guy shows up more or less at the door. And he says, hey, I'm a lay pastor. And, you know, I want to start a church. And I've been looking at, you know, different kind of theology online. And I really like what your denomination teaches. And they've got a program to help lay churches get started. And I was wondering, since this is the only Reformed Church in America church in this area... Maybe you guys would help me out. When I first heard about Terry Tyson, I said to myself, is this for real? But Terry's for real, every bit. And this little, forlorn, white suburban church had a decision to make. Would we react to Terry in fear, or would we embrace him in love? I guess the answer is obvious. But as the years have unfolded, I see that God did indeed have a plan, a purpose for his church here. And if fear had ruled the day, my fear had ruled the day, we would have missed out on it entirely. Fear is the opposite of love. If we live in fear, we react, we don't act. We hide rather than doing things. But to live in love means to act, to do, to help instead of just sitting by watching. To to live a a life of courage above all else. And that's the life that Christ calls us to and the life that St. John is promising in this passage. It's not just him, okay? It's everywhere in the Bible. Remember Psalm 23, verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Verse 19 reads, Perfect love drives out fear. And that's the love we're supposed to live in. So, okay, how do I get this? How do I get a hold of perfect love? Obviously, John's not talking about human love. He's not talking about us. We're pretty far from perfect after all. Can I get an amen for that? Okay. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Our love is at best, it's flawed. It's self-centered and shallow. No, the perfect love that John is talking about is a different level of love than what we are experiencing. Perfect love is 
the love, of course, it's the love that God the Father gave to his children, to those who follow him. For us, it's the same love that John refers to when he writes his gospel. The same John wrote the gospel of John. He says, God so loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We know that it's John 3.16, right? We see it scribbled in crayon on cardboard all over in stadiums. Hey, John 3.16, you guys. The question is, if God's love is so good, so complete, and so perfect, we can't even hope to match that, right? He says, uh, John says in verse 16 in the same passage, God is love. So all we have to do then is love perfectly like God loves. How? How do we do that? Is it something we can work toward? Is it something we can acquire? If I get enough points, I can love like God? Is this how we get to heaven? The good news here is that God's perfect love is never earned. We can't earn it. It's his free will gift to us. Remember John 3.16? Remember that? I just said it. His gift to us. As John writes in his gospel and his letters that we're studying, he writes a lot about love to the point where it gets confusing sometimes. What's he really talking about? He says love so much. Some people refer to John as the apostle of love because of this. And what he tells us mostly is that Jesus' greatest command to us is that we love each other. In today's passage, verses 15 and 16, he says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, and God lives in him, and he in God. And furthermore, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So it seems so easy. And the theory is this. If we acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, if we, then we have access to this perfect love of God, and that perfect love will cast out all our fears. But how does perfect love drive away those fears? I mean, how does God love work on the level of spiders? How, how does that even make sense, right? It's because there's one and only one fear that God demands of us. He not only allows us, but he demands it of us. It's to fear him, fear of the Lord. This concept also is all over the Bible especially in the Old Testament. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Remember that one from Proverbs 9? And now, what does the Lord ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, and to serve the Lord with all your heart and all your soul? That's Deuteronomy 10. From Luke, we wonder what this could mean. Oh, I'm sorry. I lost my place there. Uh, We wonder what all this really means, but I think the answer comes from another place, from the New Testament, from Luke. This is Jesus talking. He says, listen, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you who to fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So you see, the fear of the Lord isn't the same as the repulsion I fear when something creepy crawls all across the back of my hand. The fear of the Lord is respect. It's the respect that God, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, as our true father and love, deserves. 
It's not by virtue of his power. He's not a bully. It's his righteous claim. It's because of his holiness, his righteousness, that he deserves this fear. We fear the Lord because he has the right, and if necessary, to judge us, and if necessary, to condemn us. It's a sobering thought, but it's not a hopeless one because in this passage, John teaches us that God's perfect love is the thing that can give us the confidence to face that judgment. The perfect love that God gave us freely takes away that fear, even the fear of the Lord. The only one who could release us from that fear has done so. He gave his son so that we wouldn't have to be afraid. This love of God turns the universe in full circle. That perfect Eden that God created through his love comes back to us through the sacrifice of his son, a place without fear, because that fear of judgment has been removed. Listen to this quote from from C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Think of that. It's this vulnerability This possibility of being hurt, this possibility of being judged that God eliminates. He bridges with his perfect love. He's taken away our vulnerability by giving us his strength. Our ultimate fear has been assuaged. And what happens to our other fears then? If God's judgment is gone, then what else can harm us? All of our fears, all of our pains, all of our anxieties can fade away. So what's it like to embrace the life of perfect love? I've only had glimpses of it in my life, frankly. So many times I return to my fears. What will people think? What if this new job is a bust? I don't know why I'm thinking about that a lot. What if I talk to him about Jesus and he laughs at me? It's a process, okay? Not an event. It will happen. It it won't happen all at once for us. But we have to decide to walk in that way. We have to identify our fears. We have to look at them and acknowledge them. Say, yeah, I really am afraid of that. And then walk away from it and understand that that fear doesn't have any hold over us anymore. Imagine this world. Imagine this church if we learn to live without fear, to live in the full embrace of God's love, God's perfect love. So let's agree today to step away from fear, to take a step toward God and toward his perfect love and to walk in that path with him. Amen.